With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 83, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. Now, welcome along to this week's show. If you are new to the Retro Hour podcast, we always like to welcome in new listeners. Oh yeah, totally. And kind of explain what we're about as well. And also people that listen every week. You know, we appreciate you guys massively as well. Uh, But obviously this show, we come out every single Friday. And the way this works is, Ravi and I are going to go through the top stories that are making the headlines in the world of retro. And believe it or not, there are still stories every week that are new in the world of retro gaming. It's crazy, there's actually more stories. You know, we were struggling for news when we first started this. Now we're like, oh, we've got to pick and choose. Because I remember we did a TV interview last year, didn't we, with um, Knott's TV, like a local TV channel here. And the journalist, he didn't know a lot about, like, retro video games. And, you know, we explained that, that we do, you know, news stories. Yeah, like like, new consoles coming out and stuff. He was like, what? News in retro, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. So, but there's loads of goings on stuff we've got to talk about in just a minute. Totally. And then in the second half of the show, we welcome on a special guest. Now, I will say on this show, we're never afraid of a bit of controversy, are we? No, not at all. And the game that we're going to be talking about today and exploring was actually one of the most controversial video games in history. So controversial, it actually started kind of video game censorship. Yeah. Which is pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> and it was debated in, like, you know, the House of Commons and stuff, and in America, it was, you know, the courts were talking about the it. The State Senate, yes. Yeah, it was like, I think it was one of the games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was a game in America that brought in age rating, or it was definitely one of them, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, the uh, Entertainment Software Ratings Board was created. Now, in hindsight, looking at the game, it's not really that, Graphic or anything, really, is it? <laughs> no, and this game uh, we're talking about, it's called Night Trap, and you may remember it. It was kind of like a cheesy slumber party <laughs> that was invaded by monsters with grappling hooks. Now, we've talked about it before. It was, you know, essentially no more gory and graphic than a teen slasher movie. No, but they put it in the same rating as Mortal Kombat. You know, this was like uh, the kind of age of hysteria with video games. But obviously, it was one of the first games that took advantage of full motion video on consoles. Mm. You know, it was like a a mega CD title. That's the platform that it was um, created on. And now, 25 years later, the game's actually getting re-released. Yeah, this is so cool. And we're going to talk about the whole history of it and kind of the new release and the new features that they've added in because they've actually found good quality versions of the footage. So if you remember those mega CD kind of images, there were these tiny little windows. <laughs> and, uh, like a postage stamp yeah, with a little yeah. grainy. <laughs> but this is going to be full screen, you know, really nice quality. What amazes me as well, a game that came out and really wasn't all that good. I mean, I, re- I do remember seeing Night Trap in shops and stuff and being like, oh, wow, you know, video on a computer, that's amazing. But apart from that, you know, the game is generally considered a pretty dreadful game. Well, these things become stuff of legend, don't they? That's the kind of, you know, the more controversial it is, the more it's going to be, oh, do you remember that, you know? And even movies, I remember like, 
you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space is generally voted as the worst film of all time. Yeah. But then obviously that kind of got remakes, video games made about it. And That's it, it's got a cult status, you know. Yeah, and the, Night Trap has definitely fallen into that category now. And actually the game is getting re-released today at the time of uh, this episode will be released on Friday. And uh, on PS4, I think it comes out today. And then the Steam release is going to be next Tuesday. So relevant, Dan. Oh, you think we actually planned all this show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but today we're going to talk to Tyler Hogel. Now, Tyler works for a company called Screaming Villains. And he is releasing this 25th anniversary HD upgrade. This is their first title, actually, Screaming Villains. So, you know, it's, it's his premier game. It's this a one-man is... project. He's yeah. done it all himself, so, yeah. which is pretty impressive. So we're going to find out how he's actually got this license, why he's decided to do Night Trap of all games. Tyler is going to be our special guest on the Retro Hour in around 20 minutes from now. Now, obviously, every week, we have to give a massive big up to the people who allow us to come in and do this show week in, week out. Because, you know, like we said last week, we are a weekly retro gaming podcast. And, you know, we did put it out there. If yeah. there are any more, get in touch. No one has. No. So <laughs> can it. we claim the world's only weekly retro gaming podcast? We'll do it until we get knocked off. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, it is the guys who make donations and the girls into the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. And uh, this can be, you know, as much or as little as you want. Think of it as a little tip jar on our website. And obviously, any money that we get into there all goes back into the running of the show. And any currency as well. You can kind of go with whatever currency and it will be converted. But also... You can go with digital currency like Bitcoin. Yeah, which is like everywhere at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Suddenly everyone's talking about Bitcoins and you can donate that way if you've got some spare ones. Or maybe you've got like a, a pretty hardcore mining setup at home yeah. or something in your basement. So this week we want to say thank you so much, Christopher Folds. Chris Folds. Now we'd... You should explain why you did that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This is um, <laughs> basically because on Amigos podcast... They always do a little falsetto, Chris Folds, whenever he's mentioned. Reminds me of Lemmings. Yeah. <laughs> Naweed Ifka. Uh, Victor Zarima. And Gary Hever. Who've all made donations into the running of the Retro Hour podcast. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. It means a world to us. And let's just keep doing the show every week for you guys. And if you'd like to make a donation, all you've got to do is head to our website, theretrohour.com. Little PayPal button there. Pop your email in. It takes literally five seconds. Yep. Or click on that Bitcoin link. And also, if you'd like to get in touch and support the show... We do like our letters. Oh, we've got this new letter section now. I'm loving it. Now, all you got to do, if you want to get a mention at the start of a show, I mean, it could be, you know, just want to say hi, let us know where you listen to the show. We get lots of those recently. Maybe you've got something coming up that you think, you know, the Retro Hour audience would love. Or even even if you've got a cool console or a kind of cool home gaming setup, you can show us that and uh, we can judge your gaming setups. You know what would be good to see? Yeah, I'd like to see people's, like, home retro gaming Their setups. Rigs, yeah. Yeah. So show us your retro battle stations. Yeah, that's that be the challenge this week. <laughs> so all you've got to do is email show at theretrohour.com, show at theretrohour.com. I wonder who's got, like, the rarest console out there. Oh, God, or who's got, like, every single Game Boy or, you know, kind of every Sega console? Oh, there's got to be a load. Yeah. yeah so get in touch, show at theretrohour.com. Uh, we've got a few emails this week as well. I want to say hi to Slade Walker. That's an awesome name. Yeah, Slade. You should be like a movie star with that name. I used to read a comic called Slade with 2000 AD. He was an <laughs> epic character with a big sword. That's well, how I imagine him <laughs> writing in. So Slade's actually took the time to write to us. And he goes, hey guys, big fan from America here. Just wanted to drop you guys a note and say keep up the good work. The Retro Hour is the best podcast I've listened to in a while. It's awesome to learn about what systems make you all nostalgic. And you've got the best guests in the biz. Oh, cheers. It's great to hear from transatlantic listeners as well, you know, kind of hearing from the other side of the world. Yeah. It's insane. We're sitting here in like a pouring down Nottingham city centre on a, yeah, a Tuesday in the, in night. In the British summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, also got a message here off uh, Dan Oskis. He goes, hey, Dan and Ravi, a quick email to let you guys know that there is a Commodore 64 SID event coming up at the Retro Computing Museum in Leicester. Oh, cool on, place. Yeah, on the 30th of September. Now, hopefully going to be a great event featuring some of Rob Hubbard's newer endeavours. Oh, wow. And uh, please, can you mention it in your news this week? So there you go, Dan, consider it done. That's that's a really good place. I recommend everybody to go there and just spend the whole kind of weekend stuck in old machines. Well, especially having a, a Commodore 64 SID event. It's not far from us. We should try and make a, a road trip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, on the we need, we need to get there. Absolutely. You've been there. You made a video, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I found loads of Amigas everywhere. <laughs> I was in heaven. <laughs> you actually found the rarest Amiga peripheral ever. These guys had it and didn't even realise what it was. Yeah, it's just on a, on, a, on a shelf. I think it's on a higher shelf now. But um, yeah, it's the 1200 CD add-on. I've got a video on my YouTube. Yeah, I'll put that in this week's show notes if you haven't seen it. I think it's like, what, there's only two in the world or something, and one's in like the bonnet of a DeLorean or something. Yeah. So, yeah, very cool find. And finally this week, hi to Stephen. He goes, hey, guys, love your show. So many warm, fuzzy retro moments, but would like some more Amiga game developer interviews outlining the ins and outs of how the graphics were developed, storyboards, hardware strengths, Amiga was and is retro love. Oh, yes. Maybe we'll do a special on that. That could be good. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Was it for a bit of Amiga love? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, then, let's get into this week's stories. Uh, complete opposite to the Amiga. Let's talk Atari to start with. Well, well, it's still kind of related. This this bloke's found something strangely in a, in a second-hand shop, actually. Now, obviously, Atari consoles, I mean... Atari kind of started the console business, didn't they? I know there were like Pong machines and that before it. But obviously, the 2600 legendary machine, many people started their exploration of the video games industry, their careers on the 2600. Have you ever heard of an Atari 2700? Never. I've never heard of this. And I admit, I haven't looked at the kind of background of Atari and the prototypes and stuff like this, but I'm sure I would have heard of this. 2700? I'd never heard of it either. But it turns out that Atari were actually working on a system that was going to be the follow-up to the 2600. The only real difference was that it had wireless controllers. Okay, but they weren't very good. <laughs> Hold it right at the front or something. Infrared, probably. Yeah, well, that's why it got cancelled. Yeah. Apparently, it did work on radio waves. Okay. Now, I've been doing a little bit of digging about this. Um, they made about 12 prototypes of this, and you know they've obviously kind of escaped Atari's HQ in California. There's a guy on Reddit who actually found one in a second-hand shop <laughs> in Oceanside, California. He spotted it, and you know he's, he thought, what on earth? This thing, he, kind of, he knew a bit about you know consoles and stuff. So you paid $30 for it. Wow. Obviously, the shop didn't know what on earth this system was. He went on Reddit, posted it, said, um, anyone know what this is? They went absolutely batshit for it, <laughs> as you can imagine. And he went on to put it on eBay, and he made $3,000. Oh, my God. So wow. that, that, that is a huge score. You know, people talk about their car boot sale finds or their success stories. Finding an Atari prototype, that's insane. It's but was, every, every fan's dream, isn't it, really? Especially something that rare. When they don't even know what it is, but you know, apparently this system plays 2,600 cartridges. Oh, cool. So um, it's usable. Well, it, apparently he didn't have the TV wires or anything for it, but he plugged it in and the lights came on. So that's as far as I know from this story that apparently it powered up, so maybe it's usable. But the reason it was cancelled, this is quite interesting, <laughs> because apparently the wireless controllers... They used radio waves and they had no way of kind of locking it to one console. So if there's a few in a shop or whatever that all control each other, <laughs> even more amusingly, they're on the same radio frequency as electronic garage doors. Yeah. <laughs> so you could be playing Pac-Man. And Press a button door. and you're opening, yeah. You're firing missiles and it's going, eh, eh, eh. Um, so it you, reminds me of, you know, when you got cheap remote control cars and you and your friends all went in the same room and then you kind of, 
be controlling other people's ones and there'd be clashes. It sounds very similar. I think it works on exactly the same technology, yeah. So you can see in hindsight, that could have caused probably a few lawsuits if you were opening your neighbour's garage doors while you're playing. just use wired controllers, they could have released the thing, I reckon. But that is no different to the 2600. Yeah, true, so it's like, true, yeah. The only thing is, the case on it actually looks a bit like the 5200, you know, the later one that came yeah, out. Yeah, it looks quite nice, actually, the case does. You can tell it was, you know, a bit of inspiration on other systems. But also there was an Atari 2800. Okay. That only came out in Japan that actually uses a similar case to this. Might be a few of them in Japanese charity shops. Or, yeah, know. so it, it's just crazy, you know, that there's these kind of like weird variants of like famous consoles that you've never heard of till now. Yeah. And speaking also of uh, things that have gone on to sell for massive money, how much do you think a copy of Super Mario Brothers for the NES in for a box NES sealed box. would go for original? 60 to 90. I, I, I'm not sure about the NES market, but I guess it was a very popular title, so... You know, it go for that much, maybe. Try $30,000. <laughs> Deposit on a house or a full house? That's uh, crazy. Well, this wow. is a, a mint-conditioned seal copy of Super Mario Brothers. It's one of the earliest print runs, and apparently the way you can tell this is by how they hang on the shelf. And this has got kind of... Um, it's called a hang tab. So basically, it's a perforated tab on the back of the box. It can be popped out so you can ah, hang it on a peg, okay. which you know is obviously... That, that makes it the early version, yeah. Yeah, apparently only the earliest versions had this. And they say that, you know, obviously, Mario was kind of bundled with a lot of systems as well. So even finding, apparently, you know, kind of box copies is actually a bit rarer than you might think. Oh, wow, because I, I thought, you know, there's so many out there that there's going to be a lot of these available. But also, you're probably right that Nintendo stuff is very high value all the time. So Mario being the main thing, this is probably, you know, holy grail kind of stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I, I thought like you that, you know, it's got to be the most common NES game out there. So yeah, it can't be yeah. worth that much. But yeah, it's, you know, before I mean, the mention on this article here on uh, Kotaku that, you know, really it's only stuff like stadium events that were selling for five figure prices before. So this is quite interesting because... Um, you know, it was obviously one of the most common Nintendo cartridges. And it shows really just how much video game collecting is growing as an industry. Yeah, do you, do you think he put maximum bid on? It's like 30000 and someone put it up. It's, it's, it I seems think, really mad to me. I think he yeah. started it at 99 cents. Yeah. Yeah, from what I read on this article. Because so. like I said, I had an auction mm. that I sold. You know, I bought the game for 60 quid and it sold for 400 Yeah. And that jumped from like 100 to about 400. So I guess people have put the maximum bids on. But Jesus, it's, it's mad the video game market at the moment. I can't believe that, to be honest. When do you think it's going to end? Um, I don't. I think until the cartridges are rotting and people can't physically use them. But then the next consoles will become the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, the um, antiques of the future. I was going to say, you know, one day, you know, don't want to think about it, but obviously we, we won't be here anymore. But it's like you think, it, when our kind of generation's gone, I don't know whether, you know, people in like 100 years will look back at it, but then, you, I mean, you look at well, technology from 100 years ago. That's... You're, you're going to be the equivalent of David Dickinson, but <laughs> sh <laughs> shifting old consoles. <laughs> I've already got the orange tan. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can I imagine know. you on telly, not like, oh, we've got an IC64 here. This is an Amiga CD32. Yeah. You find this in your attic, love. Yeah, that's Super. it. Good impression. <laughs> Future career plan there, I think, really. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, maybe you've got something really rare that, you know, is lurking in your attic. Do have a look before I, uh, you know, I can value it for you. <laughs> now, you've been reading about this, um, surely you must have read this in all over the retro gaming news this week. You know, the At Games new Sega Genesis flashback? Yeah, yeah, I heard it was crap. <laughs> that was basically, Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That kind of sums it up. Now, you know, I wasn't this... surprised as well because of the previous model 
that they did. Uh, I don't know if it's the same company, but the, the the remade Sega. I remember trying that, and the sound was horrific on the emulation. That was the one that we we talked about last year, didn't we? Yeah. On the show, we played a clip of it. Um, yeah, sounded awful. Well, it turns out this uh, new version of it actually still has the same sound problems. Um, there's been reviews on a lot of the big gaming websites. IGN covered it. A lot of big YouTubers have covered it, and. They're all saying that it's got problems like um, the control controller's been unresponsive on it. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to press the button several times before they'll register. And also what, you know, a lot of um, YouTube reviews I've been seeing have been demonstrating is that apparently it's not actually powerful enough to run Mega Drive emulation and it gets around that by dropping frames. Oh, that's, that's not good at all. And you would have thought, you know, after the original one, it must have sold some numbers for people just with a bit of nostalgia, you know, going for it. But the real gamers kind of rejected them. So you would have thought... It might have improved it a bit, but I guess yeah. they're not thinking that smartly or long term. But I mean, I was watching a video the other day and it shows like, you know, loop the looping in Sonic the Hedgehog and like he kind of jumps about five spaces just because it can't keep oh, up. Oh, wow. That's not good. Not but, what you want. But you think like a Raspberry Pi can handle like Mega Drive emulation yeah, easily. Yeah. So, And this thing's about $80, you know, they're releasing it for in September when it comes out. But now, At Games have responded to all of these poor reviews. And they're saying that apparently all of these... Um, Systems that were sent out to IGN, GameSpot, all these review, you know, reviewers who've uh, actually done articles about this, they're saying, oh, unfortunately, that was just a bad batch. And, you know, the, <laughs> it's not going to be like that when it's released. It was accidentally shipped out with an early software build. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's like either a major balls up, but I, it sounds a bit like an excuse in that their whole previous thing was like that. Maybe they're like, will we get away with it? Release it. No, we won't. Okay, let's you know, work on it more. And that's what everyone's been saying. I mean, you know, the top comment on this article, there's no way it was just a bad batch that happened to hit all the major players at the same time. They pushed out a crap product, tried to make a quick book. Now they've got caught out and they're going to get burned in sales. They're desperately trying to put the flames out. Mm. So, I mean, what they might do is, though, you know, it's not due for release for another month yet. Maybe they are trying to fix it now based on the reviews. Yeah, and maybe, you know, if it's connected online, you could just pump internet updates down the wire and that might seem to help. Because, I mean, it is nice having a, a package like this. I mean, it looks a cool product. It looks like an original Mega Drive. <laughs> take, take it apart and put Raspberry Pi in it, and then it'll probably run ten times better. Maybe they'll do that with a yeah. you know what I mean? So In the factory, yeah. I guess it really depends on whether the hardware is capable to run at full speed or whether it's a mm. software issue. So, um, you know, I think given, given the benefit of the doubt, they've obviously seen the news reviews and they've come out with this. Yeah, yeah, so they could have just kept quiet and just kept pumping them out. So Yeah, so we'll see when it comes out next month. You know, I'm sure a lot of the people that reviewed them will uh, go out and buy the commercial version just to kind of compare them mm. and we'll find out soon enough if they're, if they're BSing us on this, won't we? Yeah. Now, before we get to this week's interview, um, of course, we did have some very big news in the Amiga community this week. The Vampire V4 is coming. Now, this, for me, is finally it. This, for me, is like I've been waiting all these years for a new modern Amiga and this is it. And... There was lots of stuff before where they went down like a power PC route. They went down all these routes that were never really kind of traditionally Amiga. Now this one, they've they've got the 080 CPU, which kind of never existed. They've made it on a chip and they've continued the Motorola 60K development, which is amazing. You know, the chip that was used in the Mega Drive and all of these kind of amazing consoles. Um, they've also got SAGA, which is the new kind of display adapter. New chipset, really, isn't it? New, I guess, a whole yeah. new chipset, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is going to be a standalone Amiga. We've talked about the Vampire before. I mean, if you're not a hardcore Amiga nut, what it essentially started its life as was kind of an add-on board for the Amiga 600. Yeah, it sucks 
the power out of there and takes control of the uh, machine, basically. Hence the name Vampire, yeah. yeah. And, you know, what it did is, like, you know, sped your Amiga up by a ridiculous amount, um, like 100 times or something, I think it was, in, like, the benchmark speeds yeah. that I saw. Um, obviously gave it, you know... 24-bit graphics, the AGA chipset on board, 128 megabytes of RAM, a micro SD card slot on there as well, HDMI output. All of these things were kind of available, but they were all available in really expensive little add-ons that you had to like kind of add up, and they were all incompatible, and it was a nightmare. But mm. this is all on one board, you know, all updated. It's, it's pretty nice. Now, what the Vampire V4 is going to be, I mean, it's going to come in a couple of flavours. Either as, you know, an add-on, like the the other vampires were that can go into a classic Amiga, the Amiga 1500, 2000 CDTV, the Amiga 1200, which a lot of people have been waiting with bated breath for a 1200 version mm-hmm. of this. And also, there's going to be a standalone system as well. Yeah, this is really interesting because a lot of people have been saying, oh, well, I, I just want an Amiga 1200 with an accelerator so I can do HDMI. But the thing is, those are old components and they're going to die in a few years. So, you know, the vampire standalone in maybe 20 or 30 years may be the only thing left because it's made of modern components. And you're looking at, you know, the amount of stuff that the vampire kind of replaces on the Amiga. I mean, it's going to eventually get to the stage where all you're using is a floppy drive and the keyboard really yeah, anyway. So it, yeah. you may as well have a complete new system with new components. And there's, of course, there's an argument. Is this an Amiga? Is this, you know, the future development? I don't care. I think it's cool. <laughs> That's uh, simply it. And I can run all the cool demos and games I've always wanted to run on it. And I'm looking at the uh, the PCB, you know, the stuff that's on this, um, the Amiga 1200 version. You've got, um, there's a few I.O. headers on there as well. Ethernet is on board. Mm, that's very good. USB, two USB ports included in it as well. You've also got fast IDE, 40 pin, 44 DDR3 pin. DDR3 RAM as well, so yeah. you can use cheap RAM in there. Yeah. It's, which uh, is a really kind of good advantage. Micro SD slot, a J- JTAG header on there as well. So this, you know, it's a nice improvement over the last and, vampire. And another thing that they say is the fact that this V4 is coming out for all these different systems, they're going to release software that's going to be compatible for all the systems because they'll all be on the same architecture. You mm-hmm. won't have this thing where before in the Amiga tier you had... Oh, two megabyte release, four megabyte release. Do you know all the different tiers? You're just going to be on one plat- flat platform, which is going to be version four. And the standalone will work as well as the 1000 or the CDTV, you know? And we've had the Vampire Crew, you know, on our show before, so we'll have to get them back on to talk about this one oh, yeah, when, it's, when it's released or when it's due for release. Or um, when we get some. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> review copies. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, it's an amazing product anyway, and, you know, I, I find the, the Vampire for the A600 really impressive, but I think this is the, the one that people have been waiting for. I think my problem with the Vampire 600 was that I was an early adopter, so we were getting all the stuff as it was coming out, and it was a bit of a fiddle. But yep. this, to me, seems like it's going to be all complete, and the kind of software now we know is develop to the stage that they'll be able to release this as well. Absolutely. I've even got Apollo OS at the moment, which is a kind of operating system build that seems to work for it. It's really like 32 nice. gigabyte download, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got it. I haven't got it working yet. It's but. got an auto-updater <laughs> on it as well, so it can patch all your stuff straight away. But it's like you said before, you know, this was kind of the Amiga that we've been waiting 20 years for, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've so. been waiting for this, and I didn't care if it, what form it came in, ARM, PPC, bloody x86, as long as it was fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and it ran all the old software. 
yeah, which by the looks of it, this will. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> Viva Vampire. Viva Amazing. Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll keep you up to date on that, of course. And uh, we'll know that have uh, YouTube reviews at some point, Ravi, I'm sure. Yeah. So thank you for checking out episode number 83 of the Retro Hour podcast. We'll be out again next Friday, available from all of your favorite podcast clients. Please do keep your emails coming in, show at theretrohour.com. And also you can tweet us, Facebook, or all those. Instagram, you've been doing Instagram posts? Yeah, I've been doing a few. And I'm just going to tell you, we're getting some amazing guests coming on. We're actually getting our first OBE coming on, Order of the British Empire. Not you, is it? You, you, you're not going to tell me. <laughs> no, yeah, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't met the Queen. <laughs> so, yeah, that should be interesting. Interesting, Robbie. Yeah. Nice little teaser. So, yeah, we, we are working on some more massive guests. Do keep checking out the show every week and tell your friends as well. You know, if you've got any mates who are into retro, it's always nice to get new people on board. Yeah. So, we'll see you next week. At download it from the retrohour.com, of course. And now, let's talk about the 25th anniversary of uh, a game that has become a cult in the world of video games Night Trap with Tyler Hogle from Screaming Villains. And we'll see you next week. Ciao. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it's time to welcome on this week's very special guest, Tyler Hogel from Screaming Villains. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Now, um, we need to talk about this very interesting decision to re-release Night Trap 25 years after it originally came out. (laughs) But I thought it would be quite nice to get a bit of background on you and, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. go all the way back to the beginning of your experience with computers and video games. Where did it all begin for you? I mean, it's a boring answer. I'm sure a lot of people will give the same answer. It was was probably Mario uh, for the original uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. That was probably, uh, oh, what year was that? I want to say 88. Mm-hmm. I was in kindergarten. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I ever played a video game was at that time. And then just got hooked on them ever since, just like <laughs> anyone else that plays games, I guess. <laughs> well, what was your first kind of gaming system at home or like your, your first computer you owned? My grandma had one, which was kind of odd because grandparents usually don't have video game <laughs> systems. Yeah, that was the first time I played it. And then my mom bought me one after begging for one for at least a year. Yeah, I would say the Nintendo Entertainment System was the first one I owned. I think everybody's grandma's got a Wii these days, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah, days, yeah. <laughs> at some point, a grandparent has owned a Wii. <laughs> so were you much into Sega then when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Um, Sega was probably my go-to system because um, I was like, I was super hardcore in Nintendo when that came out. And then um, at some point, Sega Genesis was released. And then at that point on, I basically became a Sega kid and was all like, F Nintendo. I'm not into them anymore. So <laughs> you, you got yeah, the attitude. Hardcore to Sega. <laughs> yeah. well, I think it was the same for everyone at school, wasn't it? You were either like Sega or Nintendo. Basically, what you see on the internet now between like people arguing over which is better, PlayStation or Xbox, that happened back then too. But it was in person, and sometimes it, on occasion, it could result in a fist fight. So that's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so were you much into movies when you were a kid? Then, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty hardcore into movies now. Actually, I try to. A lot of times, usually when I take breaks from like night, like working on Night Trap and stuff like that, it's always to watch a movie, and then I always get hardcore into a TV show, and then. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like working on this game right now. And then I'll go to my girlfriend, like, let's watch a TV show or watch a movie. And then after, like, like with TV shows, we've been watching, of course, because that's what everyone does now because of Netflix and all that. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll get it. I'm like, I need a break. Let's just watch an episode of whatever show we're watching. And then she'll be like, all right, cool. And then we'll watch an episode. And I'm like, 
all right, let's watch another one. She's like, you need to go back to work. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty hardcore. I'm pretty big into movies. Did you kind of have an interest in the idea of interacting with movies or kind of with moving video? Uh, no, not really. I just thought, I always thought it was a cool concept, even back in the 90s when it was first done on like Sega CD and 3DO and CDI, but it just wasn't executed very well back then. So I always thought it was a cool idea. And it's kind of cool that it's starting to, I guess it's, starting to slowly come back now because there's other games now not just night trap that are doing it well um before night trap there was a scene of the crime which was a interactive vhs kind of murder mystery <laughs> by axlon and they produced it for hasbro yeah yeah uh scene of the crime was actually um the original prototype to night trap it was um the way it came the way it was explained to me was um tom zito uh one of the guys behind night trap he worked for hasbro at the time and then he wanted to come up with a with a system after seeing the popularity of Nintendo. He wanted to come up, develop his own video game console, which uh, resulted in a system that wasn't released called Control Vision. But they wanted to take a different approach to it and have like live actors and so forth, and have everything on, have all the games on VHS tapes. And Scene of the Crime was actually the prototype that was created in order to get the Control Vision and Night Trap greenlit. So how did Control Vision work? Um, it was basically an attachment for a, a VCR. You didn't have to like buy a specific type of VCR in order for it to work. It was just an attachment that already that connected to your existing one. And then all the games were on VHS tapes, and they were kind of set up to where the tapes... Uh, I want to say they were specially made VHS tapes. I could be wrong on this, but they were set up to where they can simultaneously play four video tracks at the same time and then this unit that was hooked up to the vcr could switch between those tracks those uh different tracks and then depending on what you would do in the game the system would automatically fast forward and rewind to certain parts certain parts of the tape wow it sounds pretty impressive for the time though yeah yeah absolutely just sound expensive which <laughs> was why it never came out came out just because how much it was i think it was um i want to say it was estimated to be like one ninety nine or two ninety nine for retail, and that's what ended up getting canceled. Mm. And that's without the VCR and stuff. That was just the add on, right? Right. So um, Hasbro started filming Night Trap, but um, they kind of dropped the project, uh, as you mentioned, due to hardware costs. Um, that's incredible that they kind of started this and then just totally dropped it. It's such a revolutionary thing. Yeah, yeah. It was just it. It got to the point where it was just too expensive because, like Hasbro. They're a toy company, and this was something new that they really weren't familiar with. So it just got to a point where they didn't see to them it wasn't worth it just because of cost involved. Like they originally, like the first two games that they made for that system was a uh, Night Trap and Sewer Shark, and um, yeah, like Sewer Shark that was made five years before it was released, just like Night Trap, which a lot of people don't know. Like with those games, they were just way ex like way expensive compared to games that were being released at the time. Like Night Trap, I think cost them around 1.5 million dollars just to make it wow and sewer shark was somewhere around 3 million and then hasbro was like okay this is too expensive this might not be a good idea so yeah that's what happened with all that <laughs> especially then like you know like 1987 it was filmed i mean a lot of games were just developed by a little team of like two or three guys working in the bedroom at that stage weren't they right 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 with this this was like kind of what how hasbro saw it they were like wow this is just like creating a production studio this isn't field so to speak so <laughs> yeah because it was like 19 days of filming and a proper crew and everything and set and right stars, right right you know 
Tom Zito, founder of Digital Pictures, then purchased the footage. I was kind of wondering how he found the footage, uh, found out about this project, and why Hasbro didn't approach Sega or another kind of console group themselves. I don't know all the details. I think Hasbro, I think Tom worked for Hasbro directly at that time, and he had a really good relationship with them. And then since that whole thing was basically his IDM concept and Hasbro wasn't going to do anything with it, they just agreed to selling it all to him. Do you know much about the filming process and how they found the stars for it? And um, did they do auditions and stuff locally? Or I think when you try to, in 1987, when you're trying to pitch an idea like Night Trap, no, there, I mean, an actor's not going to understand what it is just because it was so new at the time. Like, uh, one of the actors I've talked to that was actually in the game recently, even he was telling me that, like, when he first uh, was approached to be in it, he didn't understand what it was. And the cast, they just kind of looked at it as an experiment. Mm-hmm. Andres Jones, the guy that plays uh, Jeff Martin in the game, the mm-hmm. brother, he was to, like, he's one of the actors I talked to that was in the game recently. Like, I just talked to him recently. And um, even he was telling me that, like, when the idea was first pitched to him, like, they didn't know what it was. They looked at an exper- as a, looked at it as an experiment. And then not even until a couple years later, he did, or actually not a couple years later, but a few years ago, like back in like 2013 or 14, he didn't even know Night Trap was as big a deal as it was until a couple years ago when he saw it talked about on a documentary. So if and he's actually a he's a fairly well-known actor because like he was in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. So and like the other guys that were in the in the game, like a uh, guy like the people that played the other girls and so forth, they haven't really done any acting since then. So it kind of makes me wonder if they even know if Night Trap, like, know about the history of Night Trap. Because, like, he didn't even know about it until recently. And I thought that was kind of uh, weird. It's crazy to think that they did something, like, you know, 30 years ago that they have no idea that, you know, still relevant. Especially, I imagine they've got no idea it's going to be re-released again, like, this month. Right, right. Yeah, I don't even know if they do. Um, I know... Um, they got an Xbox. Like, uh, the guy that plays Jeff knows about it, of course. And then um, the guy that plays Commander Sims, he knows about it. But... Um, Everyone else, I have no idea because we actually um, we did a documentary and we tried to track down a lot of the cast to see if possibly of interviewing them and so forth. And when was the first time that you saw Night Trap then? Do you remember? Yeah, it was um, the first time I played it. I was in seventh grade. Sega CD was out at the time, but nobody ever nobody owned one. <laughs> but you always had that rich kid that you went to school with that happened to have one. And um, that was how I played it for the first time. I went to his house and then... Um, he was all like, dude, I got a Sega CD for Christmas. And he had like a stack of games already. Like he had only had it for a couple months and already had like 10 or 15 different games for it. And I was going through it. And then um, I found Snatcher in there. That was the first time I played that. And then uh, he had a copy of uh, Marky Mark's Make My Music Video. <laughs> and, then, um, and, then he, and then I ran into Night Trap and I was all like, what's this? And then he was all like, oh, it's called Night Trap. It's okay. And I'm like, this cover looks awesome. Let's play it. And that was my introduction to Night Trap. I pulled it out of a stack because it had a cool looking cover. <laughs> How amazing was the kind of feeling when you first saw full motion video on a home machine? Even though it's kind of in a tiny window, <laughs> it still must have been amazing. <laughs> right, right. Um, I thought it was really cool. But at the same time, I didn't understand what was going on. Just because it was so, it was like something completely different than what was out at that time. I didn't understand the game or what was even going on or how to even play it. <laughs> but apparently people are still having that problem with Night Trap. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember seeing Night Trap in like a, a computer store, like running on a, a Sega CD. And I, you know, I remember standing there thinking, wow, it's like a real moving video on a, on a game system. It's that I think people were that impressed by the concept. It didn't really matter what right. the game was like, did it? Yeah, yeah. I think it was like, I think that's kind of what, um, I think that kind of hurt digital pictures, honestly, just because like with Night Trap, everyone, um, Everyone like I know Night Trap gets a bad rep and everyone says oh it has bad acting, blah, blah, blah. But it was made five years earlier. So I mean it was a different time period when it was made and it does fit with the eighties and not the nineties like it was made like when it was made. And I think what happened was is that because of the success of Night Trap, which was a lot of it was from the controversy surrounding it, that after that, digital pictures started like cranking out a whole bunch of full motion video games and because of how many they were putting out in such a short amount of time, it was like they weren't as good or as memorable as Night Trap was. I, mean, I could be wrong on that, but that's just my own personal opinion on it. Well, at least Night Trap did have actual actors. I remember some FMV games then would get like, you know, just the, the programmers like dressed up in costumes right, and stuff. Right. So. Yeah, there's a couple of them that have big name actors. Like, well, I guess big name at the time. Like, um, like I know Double Switch, that was another game they did. They had Corey Feldman in it. Yeah. And then... um. That's uh, singer Blondie, and then that actor. Uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. I will say it's Arlie Emery. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff. And then um, there was another game that was really bad. It was on a uh, 3DO that has um, it has the girl that was in that movie Wayne's World. I forgot her name. Tia Carrere. That wasn't a very good game either. <laughs> and then um, I remember Thunder in Paradise that had Hulk Hogan. Had <laughs> on the CDI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I used to go to my grandma's house and watch Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> aged well. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the game would have kind of not gained such a reputation if it hadn't been marketed by Sega during the whole kind of attitude period? I think it would have had some sort of reputation, but not as big as it does now due to the controversy. And I only think that just because it was a launch title and it w- and a lot of people do consider it as the first FMV game. So I think it would have had that going for it, but I don't think it would have been nearly as known as it is now if that whole controversy didn't happen around it. I mean, do you think, for example, Nintendo could have ever done a title like Night Trap? Um, it was actually supposed to be released on a Nintendo console originally. The system that uh, Nintendo was going to do with uh, Sony, which eventually became the Sony PlayStation, because Sony was making a CD attachment for the Super Nintendo, and um, Night Trap was originally going to be released on that system, and then Sewer Shark was going to be on Sega CD, but then once all that fell through, Sega ended up getting both games. Well, they've got a a prototype version of that working, so maybe one day there could be a port. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, you know, when the game did come out, I mean, you know, a lot of reviewers at the time, they'd never seen anything like it before. And I mean, kind of looking back at it, it's no worse than like a typical teen slasher movie, is it? But Right, right, exactly. That's like, because um, like I was saying earlier, like everyone says it's bad 90s acting and it's like, no, that's just 80s acting because it was made in the 80s. If you watch an 80s horror film, the acting isn't much different. It really isn't. And they, they were critics were also really quick to slate the kind of gameplay. And you look at games like Five Nights at Freddy's now, and that kind of style of gameplay is actually mm-hmm. really, you know, addictive. And Right, right. I think it's just, um, I don't know. Like, the only answer I can really come up with that is, if I had to guess why the people hated on the gameplay, it would probably be because 
like if you play a game now and then go back and play a game that's on the original Nintendo Entertainment System, there's a huge difference as far as gameplay goes and just the way the games work in general, I guess. I guess that's one way of explaining it. If that answer makes sense, it's kind of poorly answered. But <laughs> Well, um, in 1993, uh, kind of part of it was the uh, U.S. State Senate hearing on violence right. in video games, and they put Night Trap alongside Mortal Kombat <laughs> and <laughs> right. said it promoted gratuitous violence and sexual aggression against women. Uh, do you think it was fair to put it against such other titles? No, I think it was just... That's the problem with Night Trap in general. Is like It has like a very misunderstood history because if you go to YouTube and like read comments on night trap now, people are all like, Oh, wasn't this game banned or didn't have scenes removed because of this happened. And it's like, none of that's true. It was like, if you go back and watch those hearings, it's you're literally watching the 16 bit console wars happen in a courtroom because all it is is just, it's just Sega taking cheap shots at Nintendo and Nintendo taking cheap shots at Sega because they were like, really head to head at that time and i think night trap just kind of gotten pulled in the middle of that and was basically ammunition for nintendo to use against sony to try to make them look bad because at that point nintendo was basically being threatened by another company because they were always on top and then once sega came along that obviously changed for a little bit and i think that's just what happened with all of that because i mean when you play night trap it's it's not a bad game. It really isn't. There isn't anything in it that's a, that's like questionable or offensive or anything like that. And I think it's always been the case, hasn't it, that authority kind of figures are always like, you know, they want to say that video games are corrupting the, the youth and all that kind of thing. You know, it's always been the same, hasn't it, really? Right, right, exactly. It's so like video games, they were just like, that was the first time where video games were, I guess, considered real. On t- And then you had Night Trap, and then you also had Mortal Kombat. And I think the way they kind of looked at it was was like like mortal Kombat was the violent one like even though it had digitized actors it still was basically computerized graphics but then night trap that was a real thing to where it was actually it was actual actors and i think the worry was is that well how far could something like this go maybe we should stop this now before it's too late so i don't know if that's kind of the approach they took with it which makes sense to me but i mean who knows well, after that, the kind of retailers and Sega dropped the game. And um, do you think we'd ever be talking about it today if that hadn't have happened? Um, I'm sure it probably still would be talked about, but not on the scale it's talked about now. I think it'd be talked about for different reasons, just because it was a launch title on the Sega CD. And it's always going to be associated with that system, because when you say Night Trap, you think Sega CD. So I think people would remember it for different things if that didn't happen. Well, obviously, the result of this was that Night Trap actually, you know, was responsible for um, the age ratings in video games and also video game censorship. I mean, was that the trigger or was that going to happen anyway, eventually? I think it would have happened anyway. But then once you introduce the idea of real actors being in a game, I think that was the breaking point. But I think it was something that would have happened eventually. If it wasn't Night Trap, it would have been something else. Which really wigs that kind of FMV era. It only really lasted about like maybe two years, really, didn't it? Until it like you know kind of faded away again. Yeah, it was like it was like it was super hardcore on like uh, Sega CD and CDI and 3DO and all that. And then when PlayStation came out, PlayStation kind of did it sometimes in games, but not very often. Like um, like Twisted Metal, for example, that had a lot of FMV stuff in it. And then um, they ended up removing a lot of it too from the game. And then it was released years later like additional scenes and so forth. But I think with uh, with PlayStation, that was like 
when games finally went 3D, they were like, okay, we don't need to film actors anymore. We can create anything we want in 3D. So I think at that point, that's when it was dead. And then plus it didn't help that there wasn't very many good FMV games to begin with at that time. Because <laughs> at that point, they were already looked at as kind of a joke. I remember the first one I saw was uh, Mad Dog McCree. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. In the arcades. And that blew my mind when I first saw it, but now you play. It's, oh, it's yeah. not, not, not that much fun now. And, and I right, kind right. of <laughs> remember in the 90s as well, they'd have like, you know, massively long FMV intros and then it'd be like a tiny platformer. Right. <laughs> like, you know, small <laughs> shoot 'em up. So, I mean, were you much into FMV games then and did you miss them when they kind of changed into 3D? Um, at the time, I didn't, but it was, um, I think it's one of those things where when you play a game like several years or a couple of decades later, then you're, you kind of get nostalgic for it. And you're like, how come they don't make games like this anymore? Because like, that was kind of what happened with me was I was playing Double Switch. One, like I randomly wanted to play Double Switch and put that in and was all like, this is cool. How come nobody does this anymore? How did you rediscover Night Trap then? Uh, I heard you kind of developed a mobile version of it. Yeah, it was, um, there's actually a Night Trap Facebook group that I was a member of for a few years ago. And um, a lot of guys in there, they were always trying, they were always um, contacting the owners of Night Trap. Like, hey, we, we guys re-released this game with like better video quality, blah, blah, blah. Because I mean, remakes are a big thing now. So I mean, why not make a, remake a Sega CD game? And if you're going to do one, it's either... In my opinion, it's either Night Trap or Snatcher as far as Sega CD goes. And then um, the owners, they kind of weren't really responding to all those people because I think they just didn't want anything to do with the game anymore. Maybe they didn't even realize how big of a following it did have. And then um, eventually uh, the Kickstarter happened, which didn't go over very well at all. And then at that point, everyone was all like, man, Night Trap definitely isn't happening now. And then after that, a bunch of fans started trying to recreate the games themselves. Like there was a, like I know there's a PC version that's floating around out there that someone made. And then another guy, he uh, made a version that worked in a HTML browser. You could play it in like Google Chrome, basically. He was the closest. And then he kind of, I think he just kind of treated it as a hobby and then wasn't working on the game anymore. And then I was kind of messing with FMV at the time. Like there's a bunch of different ways how people learn how to make video games. The approach I took was, I'm going to try to make an FMV game and see if I could figure out how they work exactly. So I was kind of doing that as a hobby. And then there was like a whole lot of interest in Night Trap all of a sudden. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to remake Night Trap. <laughs> and then my friend was all, and then a friend of mine was, uh, he made the suggestion of recording a video of it and then posting it online just to see what kind of reaction it would get. And that's basically how it all happened, really. It just kind of started out as a hobby and a fan project and figuring out how it worked exactly. And then all of a sudden it turned into a, an official thing very quickly. <laughs> Why do you think there was a reignited interest in Night Trap? Because I know it's, got, it's definitely kind of sparked something over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know. I think um, if I would have had to guess, I would say YouTube probably plays a large part of that because there's a lot of YouTube videos of people playing Night Trap and they're usually playing it very badly. And basically, you know, turning it into a big joke, which which is fine. I mean, I totally get it. I, I mean, some of them I think are funny too. And I think that's how a lot of people are learning about the game for the first time or they knew about it and now they're seeing it for the first time. And I think that's why a lot of people are now interested all of a sudden because they want to try it out for themselves to see. Because like it has a reputation of being a bad game. So I think a lot of it is people saying, hey, I want to play this game myself and see if it's really as bad as people claim it is. And I think that's kind of where part of it comes from. And the whole world of kind of streaming and playthroughs and stuff, you know, it's, a, it's an ideal piece of software for people to kind of 
play on that and interact with it's great you could do a group yeah, yeah. a group night track yeah, game changed, or something yeah it kind of changed gaming in a way because like with uh like with games now it's all about who is playing it on youtube that's how you get your game out now it seems like like i was thinking of like with uh night trap like I'm basically learning as I go because this is my first major release. And on top of that, it's multi-platform and all that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff I still don't know and stuff I'm still learning. At one point, I was all like, do I need to get a PR guy to like kind of like promote this game for me? And then people are all like, no, just go to YouTube streamers and send them a review code and then they'll play your game on YouTube. And I'm like, wow, really? That's it? So I mean, <laughs> it's, it's kind of changed the landscape of, e- of gaming in a way. Because I mean, like, uh, like that one guy... Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, PewDiePie. Yeah. Uh, he'll play a game, and then all of a sudden, sales for that game will go through the roof the next day. So it's weird how it works now. When you read a review, like you don't know how much of the game they've played, at least with the streamers and all that stuff. You can actually watch them play the game and make comments about it in real time. So it feels like you get a more honest response out of it than opposed to like a review that someone writes after playing the game and then going back and re-editing the review and so forth before it finally gets released. At least with YouTube, it's more honest, I think. And it's it's more like, I, I see it as, you know, people in the arcade standing behind someone's shoulder and giving comments and kind of learning, yeah, oh, yeah, that looks exactly. like a cool game, you know? Exactly, yeah. So when you were first um, porting Night Trap, you know, to mobile, were you actually using the original like graphics from the Mega CD then, or did you hunt down the video footage then? Uh, at the time, I was just using uh, the video footage that came off the 32X version, just ripped it off the disc. Well, how did you get hold of the original source footage? Um, what happened was, is, uh, after that vi- after that video was released on YouTube of me playing it on a phone, a couple of websites. It was, um, I want to say, it was fmvworld.com and um, segabits.com. They uh they stumbled upon the video and then they wrote news articles about it. But then what they did was Segabits they contacted one of the Night Trap owners, uh, Tom Zito, directly and asked if um, he had any involvement with it. And then FMV World contacted one of the creators of Night Trap, which was uh, Rob Fulop, and asked him if he had any involvement with it. They said no, of course. And then um at that point I was just like, well, they already know about it, so I'm going to go ahead and send them an email and see what they say. Like they, when they contacted them, they uh, those websites they posted their response to seeing the prototype on the website. Like Rob Fulop was uh, his response to it was basically along the lines of, "I think it's awesome and people deserve to play this game and or have a chance to play it." But the other part of me says that there's copyright involves there's copyright uh, laws involved. So if they want to officially release this, they need to contact the owners of Night Trap. So when I saw that response, I was like. To me, it sounded like they wanted to release this game and they wanted me to contact them about it because just because of what he said. So at that point, I was all like, well, I'm going to email, I'm going to find their email address and contact them directly. So I got on Google and found Tom Zito's email address and emailed him directly and then um, introduced myself and um, sent him a link to the video. And then uh, he was all like, oh, this is really cool. And then he asked me a couple questions about it. And then, um, asked me for my phone number. And then I was like, all right, yeah, here's my phone number, sent it over to him. And then the next day I got a phone call from him. He started asking me like just a couple general questions about the mobile version I made. Like, you know, how long did I do it? Or how long did it take for me to make it? Where did I get the video footage and all that? He was all like, so what do you want to do with this? And I was like, well, if it's cool with you, I want to release it officially. And then he was like, awesome. You need a licensing deal. Let's work something out. At that point, I got Night Trap. <laughs> and then uh, and then the video footage they actually already had because they made a copy of um, the original Time Masters 
like the master tapes that were for the control vision version that was made in the eighties. And then they had those transferred for me and then sent me all the video footage. It's amazing. They kept it that long, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised it even still exists. <laughs> it must've been a uh, fantastic just seeing it, you know, in full kind of clarity after seeing the yeah. smaller version. It's weird. Cause like, uh, like when you look at the original night trap version, like the original night trap, uh, the picture, it's kind of like a widescreen format. And then when they sent me the footage, it's not like that. It's in a 4-3 format. So there's actually more to the picture that you couldn't see before. So it was Night Trap, but it was like experiencing Night Trap in a new way just because you now have better sound, better video, and now you see more of the picture you couldn't see before. Were there any kind of like outtakes or bits that weren't in the game on the tapes? Uh, the only thing that was on there was um, was there were some deleted scenes that haven't been seen before. Those were on there, but that was about it. Because uh, the original film that they had for the game, was, was uh, it's gone. They don't even know where it's at. It's been missing for probably a couple decades now. And um, so the copy, so like the copy of the masters they had, like the copies is basically in the exact same format that it was going to be presented in the version that was intended for control vision. So like outtakes and stuff like that, they're not even on there. It's just the footage that everyone knows and then the deleted scenes that was taken out eventually. I heard you also had an intro, um, uh, an intro that wasn't in the original that kind of explained the game. And that's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, when you uh, look at the, when you look at the Sega version, well, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, honestly. Because like when you read the instruction manual, like the Sega version has a different intro, but then when you read the instruction manual, it uh, says something along the lines of "You're a member of the Scat team that's hiding outside of the window in the back of the hallway next to the cable override." And it's like that's ridiculous. So <laughs> the way the the original intro is, it actually it helps make it it makes more sense now because a lot of people were um like a lot of comments i saw about night trap was like why do they have traps randomly set up in the house and then now the the new introduction that nobody's ever seen it actually explains that so it, it definitely helps make this uh the story it helps it make it make much more sense now i think well people are going to get to see this um you know high clarity high definition night trap footage because 25 years after the original you are now re-releasing Night Trap on uh, various platforms then. So what can we expect right. from the new release? There's a, I mean, it's basically, it's going to be um, the same game that everyone knows, of course, but we tried to pack it with as much extra stuff as we could. Like the approach I took to it was like, I kind of treated it as a blue, like as if a, a movie was getting released as like a 25th anniversary Blu-ray special edition. Treated, I kind of went about it, took that approach to it. So like, it has the full the full game on there, of course, with updated video and all that. Um, all the deleted scenes are back in the game, so now the game is going to more closely resemble the way it was originally supposed to be, which a lot of people have never seen before. Um, in addition to that, we tried to add um, a whole bunch of new features, also, because um, to do that, I kind of went back to old reviews, like in uh, comments that I read from other people, just to see what what a lot of people were complaining about. One thing that I saw a lot was that um, you can't really watch the main story because you're too busy going through the house trying to find intruders so you can trap them and then you miss a lot of part of the story. So that's where the theater option came from. So there's a theater option in the game to where when you play through it, you can unlock all the videos and then go back to the theater and then you can rewatch all of the all the scenes uninterrupted. So that's a new thing that's going to be in there. Trying to think what else. Uh, there's a 20 minute documentary in there where it's uh, an interview 
with the creator and director of Night Trap, Jim Riley, where he talks about the making of Night Trap since that story hadn't really been told over the years. And it was it's kind of interesting how it was made. And a lot of people have always been interested in that. And the information just wasn't out there. And then um, another thing we got in there was um, there's some production stills and images in there, but we couldn't get as many as I hoped. I think there's only 10 in there, mainly because they're just missing. And then um, and a lot of that stuff was lost over the years. There's a new game mode in the game called Survivor, which is basically it's like a randomized game that has online functionality. The way that works is... Um, you'll be put into the house and then intruders will randomly appear in different rooms and then you have to trap them all. And then if you get them all, you move to the next round and then they randomly appear in different parts of the house again. And it just keeps going over and over until you miss so many. And then um, that actually has an online leaderboard with it as well to where you know, people get ranked and so forth. But I kind of took the eighties approach with that because I think, um, and just made it like a top 20 players, because I think leaderboards where you can scroll through thousands of names are kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> just simplified the whole process and um, made it more 80s, I guess you could say. And then um, another thing that's going to be in it is uh, Scene of the Crime, the original prototype to Night Trap. Oh, wow. That's actually uh, going to be in the game as well and fully playable the first time. Which no the game's never been released before. And nobody had ever even seen anything for it until recently. And uh, would you be doing anything with Sewer Shark as well, or maybe plan that in the future? Uh, Sewer Shark, that one probably isn't going to happen um, because uh, the reason why is like when Digital Pictures went bankrupt in the 90s, uh, it was like the late 90s, um, all their games kind of got split up between different rights holders. And Sony are the ones that uh, ended up getting Sewer Shark and Ground Zero Texas. So. If those two games ever happen, it's it would have to be from Sony since they own it. And uh, what systems is it coming out for? Uh, Night Trap, as of right now, it's going to be um, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and uh, Steam PC. And there's no Nintendo Switch release? There is not. I tried, but I, I don't know what happened. I guess they're just not interested. I mean, it was just weird. I mean, like, when I contacted them about it, they were on board with it. And then a couple of days later, they just pulled out and said they had to pass and I didn't really understand why. So, I mean, they had interest that they had interest at one point and then they just changed their mind for whatever reason. And then, um, I'm still, I've been, I, I still kept trying afterwards, but they just stopped responding my emails completely. So I guess it's not happening for Nintendo. I would, I would like for it to be released on Nintendo, but that's up to them. Unfortunately, maybe they find out it was meant to be released on that PlayStation prototype. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> There's been a little revival of FMV titles. I don't know if you've noticed a game called The Bunker that recently came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, really actually, kind of exciting. Of it, I haven't played it yet, though, but I've heard about that one a lot. Oh, it's very scary. <laughs> I recommend that. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you think there'll be a Night Trap 2 in the future? Yeah, we kind of sort of announced in the documentary that was released recently. But um, it's still super early. I know that... Um, the creator of Night Trap, Jim Riley, um, he really wants to do one because the way Night Trap is is not what he w originally wanted it to be. It basically it got during the production process, it got changed so many different ways to where it was a completely different game and a different story. So I so I think because of Night Trap not being what he originally envisioned, he's really dead set on the idea of doing a sequel. 
So, I mean, it's probably going to happen, but I don't know when, and I don't know what we're doing with it exactly. I know he's like really hardcore to VR, so he does want to try to incorporate VR into it somehow. That would be incredible. You have to track down the original actors. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing, too, because like we don't even know what, like, I don't even fully know what the sequel's going to be yet exactly. At some point, I got to meet up with him, and then we're going to, I guess, talk about it and try to figure out what to do. Because, I mean, there's a few different options. I mean, you could treat it, off, treat it as like a full-blown sequel and continue the story of the original Night Trap. And, or another thing you could do is um, you could treat it like the video game version of Tales from the Crypt and like kind of do different stories and spinoffs. And just as an example, I threw like a, just as kind of like an example, I mentioned something like along the lines of, I'm like, I was like, you could do a version of Night Trap with zombies and call it Night Trap Undead. And then he was all like, oh, that's a good idea. I never really thought about it that way. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different directions you could take it, really. Do you think Just trying to figure out what we're going to do exactly. Do you think you're going to gain a kind of entirely new audience for Night Trap from, you know, younger players who've been playing Five Nights at Freddy or Late Shift or what are these kind of new FMV titles? I think so, only because there's like because of games like The Late Shift and um, The Bunker and Her Story. That was a lot of people's first introduction to FMV, and I'm sure it created more fans of that genre. So there's people that want to try something new, but which they're going to be able to with Night Trap, but at the same time, it's something old because it's kind of the game. It's the game that sort of started that genre. So I think a lot of people are going to play it because of that, and then there's a lot of people out there that are really big fans of cheesy B-horror films, and I think a lot of it will appeal to a lot of those people. And... um. It might pick up a couple other fans too, just because of people watching YouTube playthroughs that have never played the game themselves. So I'm sure some of those will become a fan of it. But as far as how many fans it's going to gain, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, the response to the game in general since it was first announced has been, it's been kind of weird because like it got a really big reaction to where everyone was covering it and writing about it. And I honestly wasn't expecting all of that. Like I thought it would just be like, the super hardcore fans of Night Trap that was all on board with it and that's it but it's kind of turned into a bigger thing which is cool but it, like I said very unexpected <laughs> I, I've seen this kind of strange trade uh, trend of like job games happening so you know ones where you're a CCTV operator or you're a <laughs> chef or something they seem to be massively right. popular now and Night Trap fits yeah, into that yeah. exactly well sitting there and doing your task you know yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's just like, I think Night Trap just kind of gets a bad rep because it was, the hardware it was on, it just it just wasn't ready yet. But now today it is. So maybe people's opinion will change on it. Well, Tyler, you know, this 25th anniversary re-release of Night Trap, it, it definitely sounds like a labor of love. And, you know, I think it's great that a game that's kind of, you know, started a revolution like the whole FMV thing is now getting the, you know, 25th anniversary release and a new audience is going to be able to play it. So it's something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Right. Yeah, I didn't think so either. <laughs> and it's uh... and on top of that, it's, I'm the one that's doing it, which makes it even weirder. Cause like, it's weird, too, because like I'll be working on the game and I'm just like, man, if I have to watch that party scene in the living room one more time, it's like you can only hear that song so many times and then. I'll go outside and take a break, take a break, like have a cigarette or whatever, and then I'm just like, "Holy shit!" I'm remaking Night Trap. That's when it hits me. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of songs as well, you've got the theme song on there. How did you get that? It was on the footage that they sent me. Actually, it was um, 
the way that those tapes work is um, the way they have the audio set up is they'll have like the, the actors and the dialogue pan to one channel and then all the music will be panned to the other. So I was able to just pull the theme song right out of the video files and because and then I just made it a stereo version and released it. That's fantastic. And it's been great talking to you. And as we're broadcasting this, our listeners will be able to download Light Trap today and have a play. Uh, yeah, the the piece, uh, sort of, the PlayStation 4 physical release, release through Lemon Run, that goes on sale on the 11th, and then it'll get released on the PlayStation Network and Steam on the 15th. Not long to wait now. Yeah, I just think it's only like six days now or something. <laughs> <laughs> You're expecting a, a baby on the same day it comes out, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I kept hearing August 15th as the release date, and at the time, like, I knew uh, the due date for uh, a kid that I have on the way was um, August 8th, and I'm just like, man, that's going to be a stressful month, stressful week or month or whatever. That's too much stuff going on at once. And then actually went to the hospital yesterday and they're like, yeah, you're not dilated. Like my girlfriend, they were like, yeah, you're not dilated yet. We're going to have to induce labor um, on Monday night and your baby will be here on Tuesday. And I'm like, man, that's the same day that Night Trap comes out. So <laughs> it's going to be a stressful day. <laughs> well, August 15th is a date you'll never forget, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, good luck with it all, Tyler. It's been amazing talking to you. Oh, thank you. And uh, we can't wait to play Night Trap. And uh, good luck with the little one as well when, you, when it arrives. Awesome. Thank you.